Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hey, you guys, welcome to today's episode of the Limitless Grid Podcast. In today's episode, I have Paul Check. So I found out about Paul through Elliot Hulse, who I had in my podcast a few months ago, and he said Paul is one of his inspirations. So I dived into his work, and I was so fascinated by his thinking and by his research, and he really helped me to think with a different perspective. So Paul is an internationally renowned um, expert in the field of corrective and high performance. And for over 25 years, he has a unique and holistic approach to treatment and education and has literally changed lives of thousands of people. Um, Paul is also sought after presenter and has consulted for organizations such as the Chicago Bulls, Australia's Canberra Raiders, New Zealand's Auckland Blues, and the U.S. Air Force and other elite organizations. So Paul is full of information, full of knowledge, and I had such a deep and authentic conversation and got so much out of it. And I hope you get so much wisdom out of this as well. And Paul is such a deep thinker and he has spent his life researching and learning about many traditions and people like Oso. He said he has every single book by Oso and he has 800 pages of notes on Osho. And um, guys, I promise you he will add value in your life. And without further ado, Paul check. Paul, welcome to the show. So excited to finally have you. Thank you very much, Shirsty. It's lovely to be here with you. Um, I wanted to start with this question. So you talk about that one of the most important things for someone is to find their dreams. In yes. Life. And I'm in my 20s and a lot of my friends are in their early 20s as well. And most of my listeners are millennials. And whenever you ask them, what do you want to do with your life? What's your dream? And the answer is, I don't know. How, yeah. how can one go about figuring out their dream or thing that they're passionate about? That's a very good question. And, you know, most people don't find their dream that early. Typically, it takes people till around their mid-30s to really get clear on what their life path is. Um, Part of the reason for that is the ego does not form until about age 21 in most healthy societies. Today in our culture, we have people of every age from 20 all the way to 100 who have not formed an ego yet. So an ego doesn't form until you have a real clear sense of self-identity and you, for example, differentiate your parents' desires and beliefs from your own and society's desires and beliefs from your own and you're brave enough to stand up for what you believe in, even if it's scary or it might cause you to lose friends or or put you at risk of maybe uh, not getting along well with church groups or religious people and things like that. So it takes a fair bit of time. You know, the act of going through puberty is the beginning of the ego uh, identifying itself and splitting off from the people that basically program you with their ideas and beliefs. So in Arthur Young's model of conscious development, when the soul comes into a body, that's called the loss of freedom stage because the soul without a body is in a very open state, almost like one with the universe in many ways, depending on what philosophy you're into. So if you think of the soul like a genie, when you come into a body, it's like you stuff the genie into a bottle. The second stage is called the binding stage. And that's where we're under the complete control of our parents, our family, uh, church groups, school teachers, and the nervous system's on full download mode for the first seven years. We have no defense whatsoever against what we're programmed with, whether we like it or not, it gets wired into our nervous system. And then by the time we start going through puberty, we, we start finding that maybe our sexual desires bring us into places that mom and dad wouldn't approve of, or maybe they didn't want you to get married for religious reasons or get uh, have sexual intercourse until you're married, but here you are having this passionate love relationship with someone, maybe you're 17, 18, 
And the idea of not having sex just seems completely outdated and unreal. So now the ego has to decide, well, who am I now? Do I listen to my mom? Do I listen to the religious books? Or do I follow my heart and engage in this intimate relationship? So we go through these challenges that are that are uh, often scary, and they're what uh, guide us to becoming an individual, an adult, and someone who has their own beliefs. And if we didn't go through that process, evolution would, would cease to exist. We would all just be just like mom and dad, and they'd be like their mom and dad, and we'd all be doing the same things, and we'd all uh, have a problem because if we, the young people are more in touch with what's happening, they're more in touch with the environment, they're more in touch with the needs of the world. It was the young people that rebelled against Vietnam. It's the young people that rebel against all sorts of bad ideas and become the rebels for change. So if they were just copies of their mom and dad, well, they'd be stuck just doing the same old stuff and we'd still be back, you know, in the dark ages living in ways that could be very, very destructive to the planet, which is already an issue, as you know. So it's actually the young people of today that will probably be the real change makers that save the planet because they're most likely to be the ones that use technology in in healthy ways instead of destructive ways. So the point I'm making is that when you're between 17 and about 35, finding your dream is a process of exploration. And what I tell people to always remember is that your heart is your compass. That's the home of your soul. And we all come here with an awareness of what it is that we're supposed to do while we're here. We we come with a deep inner awareness. It's unconscious in the beginning, but it starts to rise up as you grow into yourself. So our heart is what tells us when we're moving in the right direction. Just like your heart tells you when you're getting real love versus somebody just playing games with you if you're paying attention, or when somebody's selling you something that's legitimate versus some kind of a con game, or telling you something that doesn't sound right, and you you might hear them, and they might be very convinced themselves, but something inside you says, you know, this doesn't sound right, or it doesn't sound ideal for me. So when we listen with the ears of the heart and we feel with our heart, the soul takes us each on a journey. And so when I was a young man, you know, I was raised on a farm and I worked. Uh, when I was young, I went to school to become a mechanic and learn how to do, do automotive and industrial repair. I worked in logging camps. I worked on exploration and water well drill rigs. I worked on construction crews. I worked in automotive electronics. I worked in the army in uh, weapon systems control. I repaired weapon systems in Cobra helicopters. Now, I did many jobs. I worked in a slaughterhouse skinning animals to make money in the wintertime or during hunting season. The point I'm making is, is when I was young, I didn't know exactly what my path was, but I found that I was working, um, you know, my my son was born when I just turned 18. I have a 38-year-old son and I'm 56. So my first son's 38. So I became a father at a very early age and had to do whatever I had to do to make a living because both of our parents were didn't have enough money to support us. So it was really on my shoulders. And so what I would do is I would try to get jobs first that felt like things that were interesting to me. But then I would come to a point where I just wasn't excited about it anymore. And then I would start looking around and saying, well, what would be more fulfilling to me now? And so what I did was I listened to my heart. And not only did I need to make money, but I wanted to make money doing things that I could be passionate about so I could do a good job and get promoted and make more money. But there would come a time in each of these situations where all of a sudden that love started to fade out. Now I really felt like I was working. I wasn't really growing. I wasn't inspired. And so what happens is, is you get to a certain point, like when I became the trainer of the United States Army boxing team at age 24, all of a sudden I found myself having to explain things to athletes and to coaches and even to the team doctor 
And I found that some people could not understand things like about anatomy and physiology that I had studied, but maybe they had worked on high-performance cars. So I could give them an example as a mechanic and say, well, let me explain this to you mechanically. Or if they had an understanding of plumbing or an understanding of electronics or an understanding of farming or an understanding of how cheese was made or how bread was made. So I found all of a sudden when I was actually on my soul path and found my dream, which was to help people increase athletic performance and live healthier and have athletic performance that wasn't done by shortcuts, but by real food and proper use of exercise, stretching, joint mobilization, breathing, resting properly, training properly, that I realized, wow, all these jobs that I had all gave me a little piece of something special that now helps me understand all the people that I work with. And so I got to the point where my patients used to say, Paul, you're so good at explaining things. Nobody else makes it understandable like you do. And I realized that my soul had guided me into all these different experiences to get just enough knowledge to get what I needed to ultimately find my path and have all the tools in my toolkit that I needed so the answer to your question is you don't necessarily need to find your dream because it'll find you. What you do need to do is be honest with yourself and be careful when it's a choice between working for money and doing something that doesn't make you feel good and doing something that does make you feel good that might make you have to struggle a little bit to make ends meet, but your heart feels full because then you wake up every day knowing you have the possibility of growing into something more um, profitable or more uh, abundant. But if your heart's not in it, you never learn very well. You just kind of make it through the day and you don't really um, invest your heart and soul in the learning. And so because I focused so much on doing things that were interesting to me, I really learned very deeply and I got promoted very quickly. And made a lot more money than most people my age and was able to move sometimes from the bottom of a company to the top of a company in one year because I had a good work ethic and I was really into it. And then I, like I said, then all of a sudden I realized one day that great spirit had been guiding me all along. But if I wasn't listening to my heart, it would have been a lot longer of a journey to get to the destination of realizing what my life's dream and life's purpose was. So, Why do you think, I mean, I struggle with that every single day, you know, listening to your intuition or listening to your heart and also making, also realizing that you live in this world where you have to make ends meet, where you have yeah. to pay your bills so I work at a bank, then I do podcasts on weekends, or I'll sometime go to work late or come from work, you know, early to do podcasts with people like you. But a lot of people don't have that option. So, but they also need to pay their bill or have those kind of, um, you know, obligations. So you say you had a kid when you were 18. How did you? How did you make a decision? Or what did you do to live your life listening to your intuition while being able to pay your bill or do things that a dad would do? Well, what I did, and I'm glad you asked that question, there's, in my system, I teach what are called four survival archetypes, which come from the work of Carolyn Mice. An archetype is an overarching idea. So, for example, the idea of a mother all mothers are part of the archetype of the mother. All fathers are expressions of the archetype of the father. All warriors express the warrior archetype. So the idea of the warrior is in the universe. It's in the world because throughout history, there's always been warriors. There's always been mothers. There's always been fathers. There's always been kings. There's always been queens. There's always been victims. There's always been saboteurs, there's always been uh, jewelers, there's always been actors, there's always been musicians. Those are all archetypes. So they're part of the cosmic mind. They're described in, in Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, by the way. I love that book. I mean, yes. that audio, yeah. 
Yeah, so the, the hero's journey is all about engaging our archetypes. Now, at the four survival archetypes, we have the victim, which means we will be victimized at some time in our life, and it's our opportunity to learn what it feels like to be victimized so we do not victimize other people. The saboteur is part of our training, our spiritual training, because if we sabotage ourselves, then we end up not accomplishing our dreams, goals, and objectives and feeling bad about it. And if we sabotage other people, then we're doing negative things to them. In the Hindu sense, that would be negative karma. To, to generate negative karma means to choose an act that limits your freedom or somebody else's freedom. And so we have to be sabotaged and we usually experience the negative emotions of sabotaging somebody else often to try to get ourselves ahead but realize how much pain we created for ourselves. And once we learn that we will never sabotage anybody, then the saboteur archetype is deactivated. When we're acting out the victim, then we're still stuck in the archetype of the victim, but eventually we realize we have to take responsibility for our decisions and our relationships. And if we didn't like the fact that we got victimized, we have to agree not to victimize other people. Once you learn not to victimize other people, then you've neutralized that archetype and you're free from the issues of being a victim. Then we have the uh, eternal child archetype. So as long as we keep acting as a codependent to mommy, daddy, society, collecting welfare, and blaming our life on other people, then we're acting like a child. We're acting like somebody that needs to be mommied and daddied. But if you're, you know, if you're at least out of high school, you should be able to take care of yourself, pay your own bills, feed yourself, and be on your own. But we have a huge problem with people that stay as mommies and daddies, little child or the child of social uh, support like welfare, and they never grow up. But once we step into our own shoes and become an adult, then we dis deactivate the child, eternal child archetype, and we become an adult. Now, the fourth one, which is why I'm leading you through this so you understand this, is the prostitute archetype. The prostitute archetype is active anytime we're working for money, but we're not doing what we love to do. And we all know prostitutes make a lot of money, but they get beat up quite a bit and abused a lot. So the prostitute archetype has a positive expression and a negative expression. Doing what you don't love to do because you've convinced yourself it's the only job you'll ever get or you'll never make enough money doing what you love to do is the negative expression of the prostitute archetype. And like a prostitute, life will beat you up. And a lot of people end up you know, with health problems, drug addictions, because they keep trying to medicate the pain instead of realizing they're the one choosing to do things they don't want to do for money. Now, the positive expression of the prostitute archetype, which is what I did as a young man, like I said, there was things that I loved to do, but sometimes I got in there and, and learned as much as I could learn and saw, well, there's no growth here. I already know what I need to know about logging, you know, how many trees can I cut down before I realize I'm just torturing the environment and there, and I, for what money? So then my heart started to collapse and I realized I've got to do something else. So I followed my heart to the next thing. Now, while we're in this pursuit as a young person, let's just say you had a child and maybe your partner wasn't making very much money or your partner was going to school to get a degree and you really wanted to support them, so you had to work in a bank. But what you really wanted to do was run a profitable podcast series. If you're working in the bank and each day you give thanks to Great Spirit for this opportunity to make money in the bank and you use that money to support yourself and you use your available time to meet people like me and Elliot and all the other people you've interviewed and you do the best you can do in the background to start putting the pieces together, talking to the people and carefully collecting the equipment that you need, be it microphones, recording devices, and slowly build up what you need. 
then as your podcast is growing and you start making money from it, you get to a tipping point where you say, now I got to jump into my podcasting full on and risk losing the bank job because now my heart has the tools it needs to do what it loves to do. And I have to take the firewalk of the adult and go out into the world and trust that great spirit is going to support me. And, and as long as you do your part, then the universe does its part. Walter Russell says the universe moves toward your dream at the same pace you move toward it. So if you put in an ounce of effort, it gives you an ounce of effort. If you put in 100%, it moves toward you at 100%. So it's it's that's how love works. It's, it's the principle of giving and receiving. As long as you're giving honestly in support of your dreams and in support of other people, the universe reciprocates. But if you're being selfish and doing things like working for a drug company to make a lot of money, but you know that's damaging the world and addicting people and not helping them, then you're in the prostitute archetype and life will beat you up until you learn better. So do you see what I'm saying is we all have to understand that there's a time for effective prostitution and the way you make it effective is that you do what you need to do to keep food on the table and to gather the equipment and to make the connections and to build the relationships to do what your heart is calling you to do. So just like you're doing now, you're meeting the people, you're developing the relationships, you've obviously got the equipment or we wouldn't be talking. And then you just keep asking for guidance from great spirit each day and keep your eyes open and keep your heart open. As long as your heart's open, then your compass needle will always guide you to the right people. And the next thing you know, somebody from a major radio station will have heard one of your podcasts or a bunch of them and says, wow, this Shirsty girl's really got her act together. We want to get into health and fitness. How about if we hire her to be our health and fitness expert and they come offer you 100000 bucks a year to do a radio show. So now you went from podcasting to twenty or 30,000 people to reaching a half a million or a million or more. And you realize all of it was worth it. Wow. It just gave me chills when you talked about prostitute archetype. Because I never even thought of it like that. Because you are getting money and you are happy. But you are doing something that you are not passionate about. And in a way mm -hmm. it's killing your soul. And you know that. Yet you feel so stuck because you have to pay the bill. And sometimes I feel the biggest problem is for most people is that they don't think small steps matter. They don't think them reaching out to a small percentage of people to that would eventually lead to their goal would matter. So I think what I've found from my friends is that most people don't really understand the value of incremental progress or incremental success, and that eventually leads to them not even trying. Well, you know... That's part of the disease of our culture because we have a culture that's been conditioned with instant gratification. You know, you want something, you use a credit card. You don't have the money, you, pre you, you pretend you have the money. You want to eat something, you're too lazy to cook it, you use a microwave and you poison your body with microwave food, which destroys the food, overstimulates your nervous system, causes huge elevations in white cell counts, destroys the nutrition, and you can't figure out why you got pimples, your belly's all swollen up, you're gaining weight, and you don't realize that you're trying to take shortcuts. There, there is no real shortcuts to authentic living. And so there you see these people often think of themselves as victims, poor me, or they're acting out the child archetype, oh, mommy and daddy should fix me or, or save me or the government should make it easy for me. But you see, those archetypes I just showed you, they're all at play right there. And as Lao Tzu says, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And that's why I say if you listen to your heart and you go out and do a little something positive each day, you build yourself into the person. But the person sitting at home, not making that step, watching silly shows on television and eating junk food, they're just rotting and they're going to go through a very, very painful experience and life's going to be tough on them because they're actually not living. 
They're just existing. They're pretending to live. Life is a participation sport. Look at all the people watching reality TV show and forgetting that they are in the show. And, you know, what I tell people is I have a principle called the 1-4-100 principle. It means if you improve only 1% a day with any of your four doctors, Dr. Happiness, Dr. Quiet, Dr. Diet, or Dr. Movement, so 1% with any four, any of the four doctors for 100 days, you'll be a 100% new person in 100 days. That's only three months. And that's only 1% a day. So I said, Shursti, if you just improved your focus on your podcast and your business of podcasting 1% a day, that would only be three months and you would see 100% improvement in your overall results with your podcast, the growth of your podcast, the opportunity to get marketers or, or people that will pay you commissions or give you um, a kickback on their products. For example, you sell product X and they give you 10 or 20 or 30% commission for each sale. And you'll you'll wake up one day and realize, wow, I just made a little commitment every day and stayed true and honest to myself. And that's what it means to become an adult is to not make excuses and to get out into the world and be a contributor and do something. Wow. You said that you were training for, um, you know, army boxing team and most of them made it to Olympics and you realize that a lot of people who were really good athlete but didn't perform that well was because they had some unresolved problem and that was stopping them from performing their best. And how true is that with people living their daily life? How can an unresolved problem in their life, whether that's problem in childhood or having a drunk parent or something similar affect them throughout their lives well it, it it does affect you throughout your life but you see the earth is a schoolyard for souls we all come here to learn how to use the divine powers invested in us if god is anything then god is unconditional love that would be the highest form of love so the paradox of that is if God is unconditional love, the answer to every prayer or request is yes, because to say no would be to create a condition, which would mean you wouldn't have a God, you'd have some kind of a controlling parent figure. So if the answer to every request is yes, then we have to look at our life and when things are bumpy and rocky and painful, it allows us to see what we're creating unconsciously by saying yes without paying attention to what we're saying yes to. And pain is the great teacher. I call that the pain teacher. And remember, those four archetypes that I just told you about, the victim, the saboteur, the prostitute, and the eternal child, those are to help us grow into conscious adults that contribute to the world. And we will stay in the hell of each of those archetypes until we actually pay attention to the fact that we are 50% responsible for every relationship we have and we're 100% responsible for our relationship with ourself. So if someone stays in a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's violent and unhealthy, then they're making a choice to do that and that indicates that they don't trust themselves enough and they've got to grow to learn to love themselves enough to not expect somebody else to keep making them feel good or they're going to stay stuck and not grow. If you've got a parent that's an alcoholic, then the gift is you're being given a chance to stay very alert and aware because it's very dangerous to be in a house with an alcoholic parent Therefore, you learn to use your extrasensory perception to sense what's going on in the house and to learn to feel. So then when you learn that you have these abilities, all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you find out you make a fantastic healer and you wouldn't have ever learned to have those extrasensory abilities if you weren't in an environment that you had to develop that for your own survival. So you see that the way the universe works is just like the Tai Chi symbol, yin or the darkness always turns into the light and the light always turns into the darkness because if it stayed light, we wouldn't grow. 
So at each step of the way, we are getting the challenges that we need to grow ourselves spiritually and to become contributing adults in the world to help make the world a little bit more beautiful than when we came. And that requires that we stop making excuses and stop whining and crying and start making the hard decisions or we'll never become an adult and we'll never become a leader and we'll never learn to trust our own instincts, our own heart and our own intuition, which means we're always going to be somebody's little baby. I completely agree with you and I understand, right? And it's so easy to understand it when you're reading it or when you're listening to someone like you, but when you're in that situation when it crushes you, when it's in a Mm -hmm. situation where you are like, bend till you're about to break, what do you tell yourself? I'm sure you have had situations where it was extremely hard and you questioned your faith or you know, you had a really difficult situation. What do you tell yourself to get through that situation and not be a, you know, whiny person? Well, I will tell you that, first of all, my my mother and my real father separated when I was very little, maybe three years old. My mother had eight at 18 years of age, had three children and was all by herself. She got disowned by her father. And she had to work 16 hours a day as a waitress to pay babysitters to watch us. And then she got married to a man who brought the money home, so to speak, but was a very violent man. And I lived in a very, very scary household where my mother would get slapped around. We would get beat up a lot. And there was a lot of pain in the environment. And it was extremely scary. It was like living with an angry grizzly bear all the time. And so... My, you know, my father was a farmer and my parents were farmers. So my father's idea was an idle child is a useless child. So he worked us constantly and we didn't get to play very much. We didn't get to have the kind of life my friends did. And they used to make jokes at at me. They would drive by on the island highway because our our farm was right along the highway. And they would see me out in the fields and they would drive by and wave to me from the back of pickup trucks and hang their butts out at me and and yell at me and because they all knew that I had to stay and work while they were going out to party and have fun. And, you know, it didn't matter if I had blisters. My father's idea was if you're not bleeding to death or vomiting, I don't want to hear about it. Get your ass busy. So why I'm sharing this with you is because I have lived through these very painful experiences. I was a father at 18. I just turned 18 on August the 24th. And my son was born September the 10th. So I was just a brand new 18 years old, thrown out into the world, having to go provide for myself. And it was certainly scary at times. I really had to dig hard for the unemployment rate was very high, but I had to do what I had to do on the farm. I had to stay focused. And I knew that the safest thing I could do to avoid more pain with my father is to do the best possible job I could. And when it hurt, it gave me more of an opportunity to connect to the to nature, to the animals. I would cry and, and I would sit sometimes and just ask God, why was I having to go through all this pain? And, you know, when I was a kid, the first time this happened to me, I was about 13. I was outside doing real hard labor in the, on our farm. We had to pick rocks out of the fields so that the plows wouldn't get ruined and this would go on forever and it would be pouring rain and freezing cold. And I just got so upset because I felt like, why did I, why am I in this world doing such dirty, nasty work, picking rocks out of a field? I know I'm more intelligent than this. And I got right upset And I looked up at the sky and I started screaming at God and said, I don't want to do this. I don't even want to be here. I don't even know if I can live anymore. And my first deep spiritual experience happened. In that that deep pain, I was also deeply open to an answer. And all of a sudden, a voice came to me and it scared the hell out of me because the voice spoke to me from every angle at once. Like when someone's talking to you, you know where they're standing. But this voice was all around me, above me, below me, around me, inside of me, outside of me. And the voice said, don't worry. Your life has meaning and purpose. You will see, be patient. And 
at first it scared me so bad I was literally shaking. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even tell anybody about it because I thought my parents would take me to a psychiatrist or something. But I knew it was real because every fiber of my being experienced that. And so it gave me the confidence to hang in there. And then it happened again when I was 19. I was working in drilling, exploration and water well drilling. I was tired. I was working long hours. I was having to travel a lot. I didn't get to see my family a lot. And we were on the way home on a ferry boat coming from an island. And I was, all the guys went into the ferry to get a coffee and kind of dry out a little bit. And I was just so emotional. I just sat in there and, and just sat and just connected my consciousness to God and just said, I'm unhappy. I, I, I feel lost in the world. I'm working so hard to make money, but I'm drilling holes in the earth and I'm just covered in dirt. And I know that I'm here to do something more than that. And all of a sudden the voice came back and it said, be patient. You will become a massage therapist and everything will fall into place from there. And I thought a massage therapist, my God, the only knowledge I had of massage therapy is when I was a child, I had asthma. And my grandmother, who I love dearly, would massage me and she could take my asthma away. And I learned this feeling and this sense of touch by letting my grandmother work on me all the time. So something inside of me knew that I understood massage therapy at a very deep level. Well, that was when I was 19. Shirsty, when I was 24, fighting on the Army boxing team and also representing the Army in triathlon at the same time, which is almost impossible to do, two elite-level sports like that at the same time. I used to train six to eight hours a day, every day, and the boxers were exhausted at the end of our training, which was about six hours of hard training a day, and I would then do my triathlon training, and they said, whoever this guy is, how he eats different, he trains different, and he can fight like hell for all three rounds. So when my company commander said, Paul, if you want to leave the boxing team and represent the Army in triathlon, he says, I want to bet on you for the 82nd Airborne Division triathlon, and I'm putting a lot of money on you, and I want you to win. So if you want to stop boxing and train full time to represent, because I was in aviation, and I was the first soldier in aviation that could beat all these foot soldiers and Green Berets, so they loved it because I was in the newspaper all the time. I'd set records in obstacle course competitions and all sorts of stuff. And so when I went back to the boxing team and said to the coaches, I'm going to leave and train full time for triathlon, they said, don't leave. We'll let you become the trainer. You can organize the nutrition for the boxers and teach them how you eat. You can design their exercise programs because you obviously know more about that than us. You can manage the gym and you can do that full time and train for triathlon and you won't be so tired and you can help the team. And I said to the coach, as long as you'll let me give the fighters massage because I know they need massage. And I had started reading books on massage therapy because I would get so sore from my training that I just was exhausted. And I would ask my wife if she could rub me and we would just look at the books and she could help me so much. So I knew just from that, from my grandmother touching me and from my wife that I could put these techniques to work. So I became the first person in the army to do massage therapy for the fighters. Wow. And I got out of the army and got my license as a sports massage therapist, then got my license as a holistic health practitioner. And that was the beginning of what became the Czech Institute. And that voice when I was 19 and had no idea of anything about massage, except that my grandmother rubbed me, came to me and said, stick with it be patient, you'll become a massage therapist and you will, your path will unfold from there. So the point I'm making to you is that our pain is there to drive us into a relationship with spirit, to go deeper inside of ourselves, to learn, to realize that it took the entire universe to create us. It took the entire earth to create us. I can prove it to you. What are you made of? Uh, Aren't you made of, could you be here without elements from the earth? No. 
Could you be here without water? Your body's 70% water. Could you be here without the sun that makes all the food you eat and creates your metabolism, which is why the big nerve plexus right under your rib cage is called the solar plexus, the sun plexus. It converts all the food made by the sun into energy and into your body. Could you be here without the air? Could you be here without space? So do you realize that what you really are is earth, water, fire, air, space, and consciousness? And every single bit of earth, water, fire, air, and space that's here came from everywhere in the universe. They've studied that the material elements of the periodic table came out of the center of stars. And when they go back to the stars, they say, well, wait a minute, the elements in those stars that are on earth came from millions of other stars. So guess what, Kirsty? You are the universe, and you are the consciousness that created the universe. And so Earth is where souls who are still a little bit unconscious and immature that they are the universe come to go through these challenges. And the challenges are to put us in situations where we can't depend on mommy and daddy. We can't depend on money. We have to go deeper into ourselves And let me tell you, as a guy who's coached countless very, very wealthy people from movie stars to the best athletes in the world to people that have more money than they could ever spend, they have lots of problems too. But people without money think that the rich people have it made. No, they still have divorces. They still get in trouble. They still drive drunk and run into people and kill people. They still spend more money than they have. They still have terrible relationships. They still get diseases. And the problem with all that money is you got to protect it. And everybody tries to get your money all the time. And people will not stop pestering you for your money. So you never get to rest. So nobody has it any easier. It's just perspective. But the truth of it is the world is a place where souls come to figure out what they really are. And what we are is the universe. And what the universe is is God's body. And we're all here to learn how to access the power of unconditional love and grow deeper into ourselves and learn to let love be our guiding force instead of what other people tell us we should do or money or any of that. And our challenges are necessary because for us to support the youthful people when we get older and to become a a contributor to society we have to have experienced enough pain to really have empathy and compassion for the people that are in pain or we don't make effective leaders. So we're all in training to be chiefs and wise women. And engaging our pain and having a deeper relationship with spirit gives us the strength to walk the fires of life. And anything else means you're just a codependent, a child, stuck on the hind titty for the rest of your life and then your self-esteem collapses and you can't even love yourself anymore and next thing you know you're medicating that with drugs and making excuses about everything and god loves all that too god's god's unconditionally loving so the beauty of it is is god gives us all the opportunity to become anything we want to be and only you can decide whether you're happy with that or not because you are God. So it's only us that judges us. And if we're happy with our life, if we feel like we left the garden a little more beautiful than when we came, then that is the greatest moment. And it makes any life worth living for. And if it was easy to be successful, and if it was easy to be an Olympic athlete, if it was easy to be a successful business owner, then everybody would do it and it wouldn't mean anything. So we need the positives and the negatives because they create consciousness. Consciousness cannot be experienced without the undulations. We have to have the highs and the lows. Happy and sad need each other. Up and down need each other. Good and bad need each other. Right in the Bible, Isaiah 45, 7 says, I create the light and the dark. I create good and evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, in the last 20 years or so, they've been changing that Bible passage because they don't like people to know that. But the reality of it is everything that we think is good and evil is really one experience because without that, time would not exist. We would have no way to transform. And if we didn't have the opportunity not to love ourselves and others, then 
then there would be no free will. It would just be like robots or trains stuck on a track. So the universe allows us to grow into this field of polarity so we can realize that to grow spiritually means to use the polarities to create beauty in the world, just like an artist needs light and dark. The artist needs shading and the artist needs colors to bring things out. Well, if we painted everything with one color, it wouldn't be beautiful. And if life was all easy, it wouldn't mean anything. And so this is a time for young people to really realize the world needs their help and the world needs them to step up to the plate and become somebody and really participate in their life and take their challenges as an opportunity for higher education and growth and not just see everything as negative. That was so powerful. I just have a quick question. You said when you were 19 or when you were a kid, you had those experiences. And I think the reason you had those experiences is because you were in tune with yourself. And I feel like a lot of people, we want to have relationship with other people, but we don't really have relationship with ourselves, And we don't really listen right. to our own intuition. And I have some great experiences sometimes where, you know, I feel like I'm closer to my source, but there are days where I feel that block. I feel that I don't know if there is something there or not. And how can one have their relationship with that, their source and how can we listen to our intuition more clearly? Well, the first thing you have to remember is that if your body's unhealthy, you're already in trouble because your body's like and your brain and nervous system are a two-way radio set kind of as an analogy we have to send out to the universe all of our experiences go right out of our body through our chakra system into the universe the whole universe lives and enjoys and grows in our experience and the universe is constantly speaking us to us to support us in our growth but if your hormones are out of balance and your body's out of balance well what would happen if you took a chocolate milkshake and poured it into your car radio <laughs> and then you wanted to listen to music. You'd sit there and complain, oh, this cheesy radio doesn't work, and I gave it a chocolate milkshake, not realizing radios aren't designed to run on chocolate milkshakes, and human beings are not designed to run on anything but whole food, organic food, which supports the earth and is more respectful to the animals, and we're designed to breathe, and we're designed to exercise, and we're designed to use rest properly and to celebrate and to get some work done and to do the things that are necessary for us to plan our day and our week so that we're participating fully. So the reason a lot of people your age don't have that connection to their intuition or their heart is because they're not taking care of themselves and they're filling their radio with garbage. And when your biochemistry screwed up, then you don't have a good sense of connection to the earth. Many of them never touch the earth. They wear shoes everywhere. They got gadgets strapped to their body. They're just buzzing with electricity and electromagnetic pollution. The first thing they need to do is get a grounding mat for their bed. If they just go to Amazon.com and get a grounding mat that grounds you to the earth and bleeds all that pollution out, calms inflammation down, they should spend as much time as they can with their bare feet walking on the earth. On the weekends, take an all-natural blanket, cotton, hemp, wool, something natural, and spend time laying down on the ground, journaling on the ground, drawing on the ground, and connect yourself to the earth. A good way when you're feeling out of touch, trees are giant antenna systems. They're cosmic antennas. Native Americans and people of all native cultures often would go into meditation with their backs against a tree, and then the tree becomes an antenna system that helps send your information out to the universe and receive information. I've had profound meditations leaning against trees and just being closer to the earth, getting out, going to an organic farm and even volunteering to help or picking your own food or growing food in your backyard. We've come so far away from what we were actually designed to be all in the name of making things faster and easier and in the name of science and technology, but look, we're the fattest, sickest, tiredest, dumbest people we've ever been, and we're destroying the planet, and it's the young kids that have to wake up because their future is looking pretty rough right now, 
And if they don't learn to spend time with the earth and listen to the earth and feed their body according to natural principles and care for themselves, when the shit hits the fan, they won't know what to do. But only the people that know how to listen to the earth and respond to her and keep themselves healthy will know what direction to go when it's time to move because something dangerous is coming. And so, you know, all I'm saying is it's time to get rid of all the silliness, stop watching garbage on television, stop eating garbage, spend time with yourself, spend time barefooted, spend time next to the ocean if you live near the beach, spend time on the ground on a natural fiber blanket, and spend time with plants and animals getting to love and appreciate nature, and then you reconnect yourself to the consciousness of the earth, and the earth is part of the universe. So when we're in touch with Mother Earth, we're in touch with the intelligence that keeps us all alive. When we're out of touch with her, then we're we're stuck in the hands of doctors, and doctors are usually sick people. <laughs> um, so for someone, I want to give a practical answer. For someone who is, you know, like eating crappy food and has is not in touch with themselves, and they just like stumble upon this podcast, and they really want to change their life, and they want to change their life now. What food yeah. should they take out of their kitchen, and what routine should they implement in their life that would help them to be more in touch with themselves and lead them towards a journey of, you know, better life? Well, some of the, first of all, if they just read my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, that will help them. There's another great book by one of my instructors called Rocket Fuel on a Budget by Joe Rushton, which you can find on Amazon. Rocket Fuel on a Budget by Joe, J-O Rushton. And some of the rules that I teach are this. If you cannot pronounce a word on the label, it's not good for you. Anything in nature is easy to say. Carrot, chicken, beef, milk, butter. But look at these 26-syllable words on packages. Monosodium glutamate. Does that even sound healthy? <laughs> right? But people put stuff in their body all the time. Anything genetically modified is very, very dangerous. Our bodies aren't designed to eat that. So if you can't pronounce a word on the label, don't eat it. Next, the longer it lasts on the shelf, the worse it is for you. They pasteurize milk to increase the shelf life. They tell you that it makes it safer, but that's a big garbage lie. That's just corporate trickery. So avoid all pasteurized dairy, all pasteurized juices. Pasteurization means all enzyme activity has been ceased. They've killed the enzymes. Enzymes are what produces life in your body. All foods have enzymes with them that help break the food down. That's what makes compost good for the earth. When the food dies, it starts to rot because there's enzymes in it that helps break it down. And if we eat food with no enzymes in it, it depletes our body of enzymes. And then we get all sorts of problems with food intolerance, leaky gut syndrome, inflamed joints, bad skin. So your next rule is get rid of all pasteurized foods of any type. Next, get rid of the four white devils. The four white devils are any white dairy products, white milk, all the stuff like that, white dairy. White table sugar is highly dangerous. It's a highly synthesized, very toxic food to the body. And actually, one of the famous biochemists in the world, Candace Pert, who wrote the book Molecules of, the Mo of Emotion, said white sugar should be classified as a class one drug. It's as addictive and as dangerous as morphine and heroin, yet they make billions and billions of dollars addicting people to it. And it's Stops your body from absorbing most vitamins and minerals. It winds up your nervous system, exhausts your adrenal glands, and burns you out and makes you highly addicted. So that's your second white devil. The third white devil is white table salt. We're not designed to eat sodium chloride. Replace that with Celtic sea salt or any high-quality sea salt, which carries many, many trace minerals that the body needs to regulate the hormone system, keep the body tissues and the bones healthy. Um, so we've got white table salt, white sugar, white dairy, and the last one is, I haven't thought about this in a while because I don't even you have to think about it. Flour, flour white flour. Mm, don't. I, I, 
I feel like that's my diet. Well, that's the poison right there. White flour is very, very dangerous because one, they've taken the germ out of it, which is where the essential fatty acids are, which is where things like vitamin E come from. Then they take the bran, so they sell you the germ in the vitamin store as wheat germ. They sell you the bran as bran cereals. Then they sell you the white flour. So you're actually buying the same grain three times. That's a ripoff. And your body needs those nutrients. And the other thing is very few people can eat any gluten-containing grain, which is all grains but corn, rice, buckwheat, and millet. We can't digest it, so it inflames the body, leads to skin problems, distension of the abdominal wall, weight gain, brain fog joint ache, arthritic symptoms, because we're not designed to eat it. And another key thing to remember is when they grind flour, when they grind the grain down to the fineness of typical white flour, it covers 10,000 times the surface area that it normally would if you ate the grain, like if you made like oatmeal out of oats and you chewed the oats up just like old fashioned, like uh, old fashioned steel cut oatmeal. So when you eat white flour, it covers so much of your small intestine that it's absorbed faster than sugar and raises your blood sugar as fast or faster than table sugar, throws your blood sugar all over the place, and it's very, very destructive to the body. So if you replace, even if you wanna, don't want to get rid of the flour, if you just replace it with whole grain flour and just stick to whole grain organic and go to organic because there's piles of pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides, and farming chemicals and chemicals to keep things lasting on the shelf and all these foods, they poison your body. And that's why so many people can't hear the voice of spirit. They can't feel that connection to the earth because their insides are all screwed up. So if you get rid of the four white devils, white flour, white sugar, white table salt, and pasteurized dairy and switch to whole food, organic food, and even though organic costs more, the reality of it is research shows you only need to eat about two-thirds as much because your body's getting much more nutrients, so you don't have to eat near as much food. So in the long run, it balances out because if you look at all the money people are spending on doctors and drugs, they're actually losing money, trying to save money on food. So, you know, these are the challenges we all have to go through to grow up, and when you realize that the food is poisoning people. Every time you eat it, you're funding corporations that are destroying the planet. And so people walk around complaining, poor me, poor me, not realizing they're part of the problem. And so young people are the ones that need to take advantage of this kind of information and start changing immediately because it's easier for young people to change because they're not so rooted in bad behaviors and they are the future. So if your body feels lousy eating that stuff now, imagine what will happen when you've eaten it for 20 more years. That's why right now, one in two people in the world will get cancer in their lifetime, and pretty soon it's going to be 100% of people expected probably in the next 20 years to have cancer because we're being poisoned by so-called science. And this is all part of our spiritual growth and development to stop trusting external authorities, doctors and scientists, when our bodies are telling us every day that no matter what they say on television or what they say on the radio or what they say in the newspapers or the magazines, it isn't working or you'd be healthy. And that's part of growing up and becoming an adult. Wow. The more you learn, the scarier it gets. Well, actually, ignorance is not bliss. So the more you learn, the more power you have because you realize you can control the outcome of your own life and you can help other people. So it's better to know and and take action than it is to be ignorant and sick. True. That's true. I want to ask you some rapid fire questions. Um, if you could recommend three books to our listeners, what would it be? How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy by Paul Check. The Last Four Doctors You'll Ever Need, How to Get Healthy Now, which is an e-book that you can download by me. I've spent my entire life studying, and those books show you exactly what you need to do to get healthy quickly and effectively, and there's no BS in them. It's all hard, tried, tested, been used on the best athletes in the world and the sickest people in the world, and I've got thousands of testimonial letters from all over the world. And it's like hundreds of thousands have been sold. Yeah, we sold, uh, we're up to 160,000 of Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, which makes it a bestseller by all standards. And then um, I would recommend um, 
I would recommend a great book that's not easy to get, but it's very powerful. It's called The Book by Alan Watts. Mm. Another great book I'd recommend is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza. Um, what mantra do you live by? Quote or mantra do you live by? Well, I have a lot of mantras, but one I used a lot when I was young that I just, it, it just, I meditated on it and it came to me. And when I was an athlete training really hard and boxing and triathlon, and I was pushing myself to extreme levels, I used to chant this to myself and it got me through a lot of pain and struggles. God is great. God is good. Help me to do what I should. God is great. God is good. Help me to do what I should. And I used to say that to myself over and over again when I was running hard in races, when I was working hard, when my life got hard, when I had tough decisions to make. And it and I really feel that it helped me be strong enough to make it through the fires of life. That's beautiful. Um and um, where can people find you? Uh, you can find my institute at www.chekinstitute.com. And my blog is www.paulchekesblog.com. And um, from my blog, you can get to my YouTube channel real easily, or, or you can just go on YouTube. My channel is called Paul Check Live, so youtube.com forward slash Paul Check, C-H-E-K, live, all stuck together. And then we have this special offer for your, your yes. listeners. It's called the Healthy Core Cycle, and it covers a number of the things that we just covered today. And um, you've got the email address mm -hmm. or the, the uh, URL so they can go get it. So why don't you go ahead and share that? Sure. I'll put that in my show notes as well. It's at um, www.checkinstitute.com slash HCC. I'll put all that information on my show notes so you guys can go and click there as well. Um, and I wanted to talk about this, but I don't think we have much time. But you love Osho. So if you want to recommend one or two books by Osho to our listener or to myself because I'm uh, starting to learn about him, and uh, he's a really interesting guy. Yeah, um, I think uh, one of my favorite Osho books that I'd recommend is um, The Autobiography of a Spiritually Incorrect Mystic mm. by Osho. And I think that's a, a great book. Um, there's another one by a guy that was his press secretary, for a number of years called My Dance with a Madman. And I don't remember his name, but you can find it on Amazon because I looked it up for someone else recently, My Dance with a Madman. Um, but from there, you know, Osho has so many books. I would just say go by the title that you feel inspired by and look into that and uh, let your heart guide you. And you have every single book and audio by Osho, right? You've spent thousands of dollars. Yes, I've, like I shared with you earlier, I studied Osho daily for five years. I have almost 800 pages of handwritten notes. And as much as I love Osho, you you got to kind of take him uh, cautiously because he does encourage people to be vegetarians, which is not ideal for everybody and can cause a lot of problems. So you need to learn to listen to your body and follow the principles I teach in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, and my Four Doctors ebook, they both give you guidance there. And he was also very against same-sex relationships, gay people, and that was very sad for me uh, because everything's God and love is love. Who are we to judge whether love is right or wrong? If people love each other, then let them love each other. I'd rather have them loving than fighting. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of the areas where I felt Osho's enlightenment was lacking. But in general, he offers a lot of great information that helps people live and love more fully. Last question. What is your definition of courage? 
My defini definition of courage, I've never been asked that question, but I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Being brave enough to listen to your heart, even when it's scary. Thank you, Paul. It was a pleasure talking to you. I, I feel like I can talk to you for 10 more hours, but I know you have to go. <laughs> well, you can, you know, set up another session another time through Penny, and I'll do my best to support you. And thank you for sharing all your love with the people that you share it with, the millennials, as you call them. And they really need leadership, and I'm very proud of you for doing the work you're doing to really make a contribution to the world. So I would love it if you would go stand in the mirror, look yourself in the eyes, and say, I love you, and give yourself a big hug. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you guys, if this podcast has added value in your life in any way, shape, or form, then please, please, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a comment so I can have more incredible people like Paul. And I'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Have a great day.